There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of vice. It's Friday, January 18th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're talking about the lead-up to the third Women's March, which is this Saturday. While thousands of people are expected to show up at this year's Women's March, many people are staying home. For one thing, the protest has been roiled with conflict and critique, especially this year. But that's not the only reason. Broadly writer Marie Solis explains in her recent article that many women are just now busier than ever with their own activism, which is at least in part because of that first 2017 Women's March. So I sat down with Marie to learn more. So this weekend is the third Women's March, and you wrote an article that kind of looked at how a lot of women who attended the first march in 2017, you know, it was a huge march and a lot of people felt it was really powerful, even if they had critiques of it, but that those same women now are feeling pretty skeptical. So what were some of the main critiques that people you talked to had about this iteration of the march? I guess just to start off, when we were talking at Broadly about how we wanted to cover this year's Women's March, when I brought it up in the meeting, we kind of all let out this sigh. And so I was like, interesting. I wonder if other people feel that feeling, that they're all just taking this collective sigh of exhaustion. And it might be because of some of these criticisms that people have been leveling about anti-Semitism in, you know, the highest ranks of the Women's March organization, be it problems of intersectionality at the marches themselves, or just a feeling that the Women's March has kind of already delivered on its own promise. You know, as you mentioned, the first march was historic. It really activated a lot of people and got so many women in particular, obviously, involved in activism for the first time. And so many of those women who I spoke to, for whom that's true, kind of expressed this feeling that their lives were full of activism and political organizing now. And it wasn't so much that they were like, we don't need the Women's March anymore. There's no point to it. But they felt that a single day protest wasn't as necessary for them anymore. And they, you know, had taken the spirit and the energy of the Women's March and run off with it and started their own groups, campaigned for candidates in 2018, or found some other outlet for their newfound political consciousness. Yeah, absolutely. You talked to a lot of people who had started their own activist organizations or gotten involved in community organizing because of that first Women's March. And as you said, in some sense, it feels like 
the 2017 Women's March kind of has already achieved its goals and that the following years of that march don't necessarily have the same level of value because of that. But I'm curious, like when you talk to people for this article, was there some sentiment that it's like in its third year now and Women's March Inc., the the organization organizing the main march, should have been able to figure out its issues of inclusivity and that like in some ways those issues seem to be kind of even worse than they were that first year, or at least, you know, there's been a lot of media coverage around that. And like, what are some of the issues that are really holding people back from either attending or feeling, you know, spirited and strongly about the the protest? So one of the most persistent critiques of the Women's March, and this was a critique that had been leveled even before the first one happened, was that it wasn't intersectional enough, it wasn't inclusive enough, it was going to be a march for white women. And I think that a lot of the people who went to that first march found that to be true. Another major critique was just about the pussy imagery that has become so tethered to the imagery of the march and how that is excluding of trans people and makes it an unfriendly climate to trans people and gender nonconforming people. The Women's March has tried to address those critiques in a number of ways. The Women's March has brought on a lot of diverse women to kind of help them address this problem and and lead the march. But I still think that that has been a lot of people's experience of it. Another conflict has been between Women's March, Inc., which is, again, the national organization that's led by Linda Sarsour, Carmen Perez, Bob Bland, and Tamika Mallory, and these sister marches that have popped up across the United States. There have been some problems with those marches calling themselves women's marches. And in New York in particular this year, there will be two competing women's marches, one that is affiliated with Women's March Inc. and the other one that is affiliated with Women's March NYC, which just kind of illustrates the divide that has started to appear within the organization. And in the last year, there have been accusations of anti-Semitism leveled against some of the co-chairs for their refusal to denounce Louis Farrakhan, who has a history of making anti-Semitic and transphobic comments. Were any of the people you talked to genuinely excited about this year's Women's March or sort of feel that there is new value there? Mm -hmm. Most of the women I spoke to said even those who are not attending this year's march. Two women in particular, Monica Klein and Alana Leopold, these are two women who started the Broad Room, which they describe as kind of a a training camp for women who are just getting their feet wet in politics and in activism. They're two women who went to the first women's march with a dozen other women and just in the days after the march started the Broad Room. And one of the things that Monica said to me was, you know, it's almost like we're too busy to march. And they're both, like I said, excited about marching this year, but it's almost kind of like an afterthought or it's just not the main thing that they're pouring all of their time and resources into. Yeah, it's almost like it's taking a backseat to the current activism that people are like deeply involved in. 
And something that they said and a few other people I spoke to said is that there is always going to be value in having a large demonstration of women. Like we still live in a culture and in a political climate where having a lot of women all together um, and just kind of the visual of women organizing is really powerful and will still continue to have for a lot of people, you know, a lot of personal meaning. And necessity, too. I mean, it's interesting because, you know, the first Women's March came in response to Trump's inauguration in large part. And all of the reasons that people were marching then remain true today or are, you know, even more exaggerated than they were in 2017. And so the need for women to take up protest and really be seen in that way is still just as important. And I think what your article is talking about is that you know, is the Women's March specifically that organization that's running it and sort of all of the the conflicts and critiques that live around it? Is that the best venue for that kind of activism right now? Um, and it's an interesting question. And we saw in, in the 2018 March how diminished it was from that first 2017 March. And I'm, I'm wondering, can you just remind us a little bit about what the 2018 March looked like? Sure. So the theme of the 2018 March was power to the polls. It was all about capitalizing on the momentum of the first March and getting women elected to office and getting women to the ballot box to vote for those women. Instead of taking place in Washington, D.C., that year, the National March was in Las Vegas, actually. And um, when I was a reporter at Newsweek, I attended that Las Vegas March to try to see kind of if it, you know, could manage to capture that same spirit. And it seems like a problem was that the National March was in Las Vegas, which is you know, Washington, D.C. is pretty central for people living all along the East Coast. And I think that kind of the diminishing returns of that national march, I mentioned in my article, it was about only 20,000 people who showed up to the Las Vegas march versus more than 470,000 who went to the 2017 D.C. march. Um, I think some of that was because of the location. But people were, and I mean, I think this is always going to be the case, there were people there who were still very enthusiastic. But it seems to me now that it's almost kind of like trying to re-access that emotion that you felt in the first March and trying to kind of replay that over and over again. And I think that is something that people are finding exhausting, even though, as you said, we are still in a similar political situation. Um, things are very different and people are trying to focus their energies in a lot of different places. And so kind of the influence of the Women's March as, you know, a coherent organization that is, you know, incorporated, it's Women's March Inc., um, people have started to decentralize that power. And now a lot of that power lies in the people it inspired. So what should we expect on Saturday for the Women's March? 
We're still expecting thousands of people to attend this weekend's women's marches. And with this story, I really don't want to understate the influence and impact that the women's march has had and how many people are still excited to attend. I think there are a lot of ways that we can kind of measure what the Women's March has managed to do over the last two years. And a lot of people credit the Women's March, for example, for the record number of women who just got sworn into office a few weeks ago, as well as the thousands of women who door knocked for them and phone banked and ran their campaigns or donated to their campaigns. And many of those women, as I said, did that for the first time. But I guess we'll just have to see what happens this weekend and, you know, beyond that, how women continue to carry the torch of the Women's March the other 364 days of the year. You can read Marie's full story at broadly.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.